Hi, my name is Scott and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website www.RestoredTemecula.Church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoyed the message. I love you guys. All right, party time. It's really good to see everybody. Go ahead, grab a seat. We're going to get started. Refill your coffee. You're going to need it. This morning's going to be intense. You think I'm kidding? <laughs> it really is. Uh, yeah, man, I am glad to be back. Last Sunday was Ebony and our first Sunday back from a three-month sabbatical that was uh, both challenging and beautiful. If you want more information about some of the things that God did in us, I uh, invite you to tune into. Last week's message, it's all available for you on the website and stuff on the podcast. But this morning, uh, we are going to jump back into a series that we were in before the summer in the Psalms, uh, going through the Gospel of Matthew. And the series is entitled, The King and His Kingdom. And the whole kind of aim for this series is to go through Matthew uh, through the lenses of like, how do we investigate the kingdom of heaven? Hence, the king and his kingdom. All right, we're exploring the kingdom of heaven, what it's like, what it's all about. And kind of to set the table for this, for whatever reason, a lot of Western Christians, American Christians in in the Western world, view the kingdom of heaven as just kind of this thing that you go to after you die. And, and And it is that, but it's so much more than that, okay? The kingdom, when we talk about the kingdom, I want to to remind you, when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, we're talking about the rule and the reign of God. So so his ways, all right? His decrees as the king of his kingdom. And one of the realities that the Bible teaches is that we we don't have to just wait to experience God's kingdom until after we die. That the reality is because of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, we get to taste the kingdom today, partly in the present, fully in the future. We're in this kind of tension of the, theologians call it the already, but the not yet. We get a taste of his kingdom, what his rule and reign and his ways are like here and now, his, his miraculous intervention at times, and what that means for us in all areas of life. So partly in the present, fully in the future. Now, this specific passage that we're going to be going through today, just to kind of bring you up to speed, is we're like in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. I think it's chapters 5 through 7, I believe, is the Sermon on the Mount. And we're kind of right in the middle of it in chapter 5. And greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher to ever live, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, now, I want to give you a bit of kind of two warnings this morning. Um, the content of Jesus' teaching is PG-13. So parents, just to kind of give you a heads up, <laughs> prepare yourself. There's some PG-13 stuff going on today, kind of some mature themes. But I would say kind of even maybe more than that. <laughs> I see you. Uh, even more than that, uh, today's kind of intense. 
Now, one of the good things about going verse by verse through the Bible is that you're confronted with things that would be really convenient for a preacher who really doesn't want to make people feel uncomfortable and really wants to just like tickle your ears and make you feel really fantastic all the time. I can't skip it. And the reason I can't skip it is because God doesn't skip it. It matters. This is one of the passages among many in the New Testament where you kind of get confronted with this reality. Like I felt it this, I felt it this week as I was prepping. It was kind of like, is the word of God, is it really our treasure? In its, co- in its fullness, in its completeness, is it really like our, like our lifeblood? Like what God says and, and, and why he says it and his agenda on the earth and in you and me. So a couple warnings. Mature themes, fairly intense today. That being said, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and grab it. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter five. Okay, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The words will be on the screen. I cannot encourage you enough though. Get in the habit of bringing your Bible to church. There's, there's like all these studies being done about our retention of, of, of information about like having physical pages in front of us. So it's not just because I want us to look all pious and holy and like, oh, we were people who bring our Bibles everywhere. But there's something really beautiful and profound about not just pulling out a screen where you can scroll endlessly, but there's this physical book that inside of it is literally the words of Almighty God. It's beautiful, okay? So all that being said, I'm gonna pray before we read and jump into the scriptures. Um, Will you pray with me? Hmm. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your words. I know so often in times in life, uh, circumstances affect us in such a way where we start to feel like you're far. We start to feel like you're not active, you're not present. God, where are you? Thank you for your word. It calls out to us. It beckons us. It invites us. And so I pray, um, Holy Spirit, that you would help us this morning that you would open the eyes of our heart to the reality of what you're saying, why you're saying it, and what this is all about. Give us eyes to see you clearly. Would you help me to serve? Would you help me to get out of your way so that your words can be delivered? I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish, King Jesus. You're the Lord. You're the Savior. So would you help me to serve? Humble me, Lord. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us first. Amen. Okay, so before I read the passage, I want to, again, kind of give you some background here. We're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and this portion of the Sermon on the Mount is what theologians refer to as the sixth antithesis. And that's like a hard thing to say. I'm not going to try to say it again because I said it well that time. Uh, There's six of them, and basically what it is, it's, it's Jesus going, you've heard it said, fill in the blank, but I tell you this. And he does this six different times and he's doing it to illustrate different things, but all of it's about, hey, you're missing missing the point on what my kingdom is like, what my rule and reign is like. My rule and reign is not just the external. It's not just what other people can see. My rule and reign, his desire for his rule and reign is is to penetrate the deepest part of who we are. Okay? So Jesus gives these six things. You've heard it said, but I tell but I but I tell you. Now, here's the thing you gotta understand. Um 
I thought you were doing that to me, bro. I was like, I've never had someone do that to me. There's a baby. He's trying to, he's loving the baby. Sorry, this totally threw me off, man. <clears throat> uh, so what's happening here is that Jesus, he's not contradicting Old Testament teaching. So he's not contradicting the, the, the he's going to quote, he's like, you've heard it said, don't murder, right? He's not saying the Old Testament's like foolishness, it's wrong. That's not what he's doing here. He's not overturning Old Testament teaches, or teachings. What he's doing is he's addressing misguided interpretations by the Christian influencers of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees, okay? So he's, he's bringing more clarity here. Uh, I just want to plug Herrick really quick. Before the summer, Herrick preached the very first one of these six antitheses. I think I said it properly. He preached the first one. And it was the one of like, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, anyone who's angry with a brother or a sister is subject to the same judgment. So that's the first one, right? And before we move on to today's, like that's how Jesus comes out. He comes out swinging. He's like, you've heard it say don't murder. But I tell you, if you have anger in your heart towards another Christian brother or sister, unreconciled anger, that you're subject to the same judgment as someone who's murdered. It's intense. It's this idea, unreconciled anger towards another Christian receives the same judgment as murder. And it makes logical sense. At first, you're like, that's intense. They're not the same. Different consequences. Yeah, absolutely. Different consequences of internal kind of hate that manifests itself into, into murder, like from a spiritual sense, very different consequences than if someone actually takes matters into their hands and takes a life. Absolutely. Different consequences. But Jesus says, same judgment before God. Why would he say that? There's, there's a lot of logic here, okay? Because we've all been angry at, angry at other people. If you're a Christian in the room, you've been angry at other Christians. I know I have. I'm, in, I'm married, and, okay? My wife's a Christian. It's gone down, all right? But track with me this logic here. Jesus is brilliant. There's nobody like him. Anger eventually leads to bitterness, okay? Bitterness eventually leads to division. Get the picture here. Vision, it's, 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 in essence, it's the death of what the relationship was. You with me? Murder. Now, <clears throat> Jesus takes it so seriously in this first one that he says, stop everything that you're doing and be reconciled, right? So he's like, hey, if, you, if, if, there's, if there's this unreconciled anger between you and another Christian, regardless of who's angry with who, stop, even if you're, even if you're bringing a, 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 a something, to, you bring coming to the altar to worship God, he goes, leave your offering and go be reconciled. He goes, don't, like, don't stop at anything. Interrupt anything. This is so important. Now, when I read that, I go, he's coming out guns blazing. That's intense, right? I think today's passage is even more intense. Let's check it out. All right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. Let's read it together. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, 
Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Um, Some of you are already freaking out. Stay with me. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Like I said, today's gonna be a party. It's gonna be really exciting. Listen, Jesus is going deep here. He's going deep. He's going underneath the surface, okay? He's teaching people something massively important, okay? My first point, the things that Jesus is teaching us here about him and his kingdom, the first point is this, sin is conceived, okay? Say that with me. Sin is conceived. You guys didn't say it with me. That's fine. I'm gonna keep going. All right, sin is conceived. I remember in the spring of 2011, I remember uh, coming home from the office uh, and it was like a, a kind of a busy day at work. And if you're anything like me, it takes me like a little while to kind of come down from the stresses of the day by the time I want to get home. But I come home and like fairly quickly after I come home, Ebony hands me something. And she handed me a stick that she peed on. Some of you already know what I'm talking about. She handed me a pregnancy test. Okay, that was my, my inappropriate way of trying to be funny. The youth are just, I'm slaying it with the youth right now. So uh, she hands me a pregnancy test, and it's positive. And I look at her in her eyes, and she kind of has this like, what's he going to say? You know. And I just remember this like feeling. Like it kind of hit me. Like it, it was like, oh, I'm going to be a dad. My, my wife is going to be a mom. There's, there's new life inside of her. It was this like massive moment, you know? It was really, really crazy. This new life had been conceived. Uh, while we were away on sabbatical, um, something fairly big happened in our country. And I I haven't, I don't want to get political. I often don't like to get political from the pulpit. Um, But I think even just bringing up the topic I'm about to bring up is political. Uh, But Roe v. Wade got overturned. And and I tried the best I could on sabbatical, just like have my phone as far away from me at all times. Like just really try to like, I'm, I'm giving myself fully over to Jesus and fully to my family and like just... But I couldn't like hide from that reality. It gets overturned, and, and, and you know, there's always so much debate around abortion, all just everywhere. And like, listen, this is like a super sensitive topic, okay? Like, guys, I'm a pastor. I get to be there on the best day of someone's life and the worst day of someone's life. And so, needless to say, I've, uh, I've, uh, I've been face to face with this a bunch of times. 
and, and I don't want to take this lightly because there really is like so much pain and there's like shame and, and brokenness associated with, with this topic. I mean, literally, I have several close friends, like faithful disciples to Jesus for whom this is a part of their story. And again, like, I know I'm bringing up a sensitive topic, but I, I really want to be sensitive to the reality that like just statistically, the size of this room, that there are some of you for whom that's part of your story. And so, like, I know it's a hard thing. I know it's a painful thing. But before I, 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 I use this as an illustration in just a moment, like, I, can I just encourage those of you that are in the room that are really uncomfortable because you're like, that is part of my story. Can I just encourage you with the gospel for a second before we move forward? The reality of what Paul writes in Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 1. He says, therefore, and the therefore is he's referencing the gospel of Jesus. What God has done through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus to cleanse the sinner of their sin, to wash them clean through his perfect performance and his, him taking the punishment that they deserve. Therefore, because of the gospel, there's, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I want to use this for just a moment because I think it helps us in today's passage illustrate something. But before I do, I just want to, I just want to remind you of the gospel. <laughs> and I want you to know that I know this is a sensitive topic, but God's in the business of redeeming all things. So uh, bringing up this really sensitive topic, political statement, I, I'm going to make a statement right now that like I said, I don't think the heartbeat behind it is political. I think it's, I think it's biblical, but um, I think it can help us for today, and it's this. I think people get so freaked out about abortion on so many different levels, okay? And I think an unhelpful approach, and I would argue an ungodly approach to abortion is to like, pick a side. And by pick a side, I mean choosing one to prioritize, I prioritize the baby or I prioritize the mother. Listen, the, I'm convinced the Christian, the biblical approach to this is not to choose one. It's to choose both. It's to choose both the mother and the unborn child. It's to care for both. It's to prioritize both. It's to love and serve both. And I think that a whole mess gets like, I think there's a, a whole mess of things when you just choose one. And I don't believe Jesus choose one. I believe he cares deeply for both. But the reason I bring that up is because I don't want to get caught up in debates. I don't, wanna, I don't want politics to infiltrate a pulpit. I don't want to argue about when life begins. Listen to me, the Bible is super clear. Life begins at conception. I'll give, you, I'll give you dozens of passages if you, if you want them, but I, I, wanna, I wanna operate from that spot because life begins at conception. Life is conceived. That means it begins on the inside and then it's birthed on the outside, okay? It's birthed into the world. Hear me, Jesus is teaching us that it's the same way with sin. Sin is conceived on the inside and then it's birthed into the world, okay? If you don't believe me and disagree, let's look at James chapter one. James chapter one, verses 13 through 15. Let me read this to you. 
You guys having fun yet? James chapter one, verses 13. Yeah, starting in verse 13. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. Verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has, what does it say? Conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then sin fully grown gives birth to death. Hear me. Life begins at conception, okay? So does sin. And Jesus, he wants us to get this picture. It starts inside of you. It begins inside of you. Sin is conceived. And he uses the example of adultery here, okay? Now again, heavy morning, uh, just so that we're all on the same page. Adultery is sex between a married person and someone who is not their spouse. And you gotta understand, like, it's a taboo, like, oh, you have no idea. I get to see all your faces right now. This is man, oh man, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but it's the word of God. We cannot bypass it because God has something for us in it. Okay, listen to me. At the time, <clears throat> adultery would have been like a really, really serious offense. Okay, it, it violated one of the Ten Commandments, the, the laws that God gives his people so that they would flourish as a society, okay? Now, and the reason it was, it was such a serious offense was because not only did it violate another person, but it broke the marriage covenant, which was installed by God, hear me, to be a living picture of the relationship between God and his people. I'm gonna talk more about this next week. It's gonna be a lot of fun. But Jesus talks about, he, God loves marriage. He created it, he installed it. And Jesus is teaching here that a person is guilty of adultery at the point of conception. Okay, look back at verse 27. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery through where? Talk to me. In the heart. In the heart. Listen to me, friends. This is a really big deal, Okay? Jesus is teaching that a person is guilty of sin before that sin is birthed into the world. Because sin begins at conception. It starts on the inside. Do you realize how radically offensive this is? You want to know why it's radically offensive? Because it implicates all of us. It says all of us are guilty. And this is just one thing, this is one area of disobedience to God that, he, that Jesus is bringing, bringing this to light in. He's leveling the playing field. Like I said, different consequences, 100%. But listen to me, same judgment before God, according to Jesus. Do you not realize, like, God really cares about the condition of your heart he cares more about the condition of your heart. This is going to be frustrating for some of you. He cares more about the condition of your heart than the actions that you take. Why? Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
It's, it's, it's what your heart, your heart dictates how you live. What's going on in here produces the fruit that grows out here. And so Jesus goes, if we're gonna deal with this sin issue, behavior modification's not gonna work. We need a heart transplant. We gotta deal with what's going on in here. So sin is conceived. My next point, actually, Jesus' next point. You take this one, Lord. Uh, <clears throat> my next point here, sin is serious. Look back at verse 29. This is, this is nuts. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And verse 30, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. What's Jesus doing? Is he like, is he condoning son of like self-harm or, or like, or like self-mutilation or amputation? He's like, that's your way to overcome sin. No. He, he's speaking hyperbolically, Okay. What he's saying is sin is serious. He's saying sin is, um, <clears throat> sin is so serious that his disciples should do whatever it takes to keep sin from being birthed into the world. So please forgive my kind of crass and crude analogy, but basically he's talking about the abortion of sin. I saw... Um, I saw recently, or I heard recently, this panel of Christian influencers, and they're talking about theology. And these are like influential Christian leaders. And one of the people on the panel asked them the question, you know, like, hey, so like, what are we saved from? And, um, and one of the person's answers was, we're saved from ourselves. And and this is a, in a conference around theology. And, and then he kind of went to explain himself and it was like, yeah, like we are for sure. Like you and I make foolish choices and like God can give us wisdom and he can, he can transform our, our wants and our desires. And like, that's all real. Like that's, I'm not saying that's not true, but like, like we're saved from the penalty of sin. That's what Jesus has saved us from. And when I talk about sin, like, and then they tried, they like talked about how do you define sin and stuff. And it was just all these weird like things. It's like, no, like the Bible is super clear. Like sin is breaking God's law. Like we're in this series, the king and his kingdom. What's the kingdom of God? Like he's the king. He makes the rules. He, he establishes and decrees laws. And when those laws are broken, it's treason against the king. Like sin is just breaking God's laws. And, and then there's like two flavors of sin, right? There's, there's sins of commission and sins of omission and sins that you, like, that's commit and omit, right? So sins that you commit, sins of commission are thi like the bad things that you do. If you're anything like me, sometimes you, you make really bad choices and you disobey God. When I live with me at the center, when I'm impatient with my wife, when I'm critical of a brother or a sister, like I'm, I'm I'm, I'm committing sin. There are bad things that I'm doing, but there's also, the Bible talks about these sins of omission. That's, that's the, the good that you don't do. 
So when we talk about sin, we're just talking about this reality of breaking the laws that the king has decreed for his creation. And Jesus, he's teaching his followers about the abortion of sin. He's saying, do whatever it takes to keep sin from being born into the world. Why? Because sin is serious. It's serious. Guys, everything that's messed up in the world is the result of someone choosing to break God's law. Every, every reason, or every, every, uh, every time in your life when you've experienced pain, all of it can be traced back to sin. All of it. Sin is serious. And I'll be honest with you, I'm just gonna be a little vulnerable with you. Like, I knew halfway through the week I'm gonna have to deliver this message to you. And I'm like, oh, goodness, Lord, can I just talk about spiritual gifts? And I feel like the Spirit's like, I can identify with Jesus and the way that he would preach truth to people in love. And they would say, I don't want anything to do with you. And I had this thought, I'm like, oh man. Like, we don't treat sin as seriously as Jesus does. I don't treat sin as seriously as Jesus does. So, sin is serious. Do whatever it takes to abort sin. Why? My final point. Because according to Jesus, sin leads to hell. Um, we don't like to talk about hell. We don't like to talk about sin. Hell is the worst case scenario for a human being. Uh, hell is the, according to the Bible, is the fullness of God's wrath for unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin means like sin that you don't receive forgiveness from and turn away from, okay? <clears throat> so the fullness of God's wrath, right? The, the, the day is coming when every human being, past, present, future, will stand before God and he will judge us based on the the per his law, the perfect law. And if the law is not kept perfectly, it's imperfect. You're not holy. You can't commune with the holy God. So there's this reality of standing before God and he'll punish and judge sin. And Jesus is like, you don't want to do that. Cut off your hand if you need to. Gouge out your eye if you need to. Like do whatever it takes because sin leads to hell. And we don't like to talk about this. We don't like to talk about hell. We don't like to talk, talk, talk about sin. Uh, really quickly, let me do a, a, a plug here for you. If you're the kind of person in this season of your life where you really struggle with this concept of hell, like, you, like it bothers you to, to your core, um, I've, I was in a space... Um, I want to say right before we got married where I really struggled with hell. How can a loving God do this? And I really battled with it theologically. If you're in that space where you're just having a hard time with this biblical concept of hell, uh, I want to recommend a book to you. I've recommended it to a handful of you throughout the last couple years, but it's a book um, by a friend of mine. His name's Joshua Ryan Butler. And he wrote a book called The Skeletons in God's Closet. And it's a really, really helpful re resource if you're in that space. 
And he points out what the Bible teaches about hell in some really like helpful ways. I want to read you a couple of quotes that just to kind of get the ball rolling. And if you want that book, uh, come talk to me. I'll, I'll give you a copy. He says this, uh, Josh says, quote, and he, by the way, he's not just like a, a friend, like he's brilliant. Uh, he's a brilliant, amazing guy, pastor, really good dude. Quote, God's purpose with hell is not torture, but protection. God contains the destructive power of sin to protect the flourishing of his new creation. Remember, new heavens, new earth. Heaven's not just you, you know, sitting in the cloud with the harp with wings floating for eternity. It's like the new heavens, the new earth. God dwelling with man in a physical, literal place. And he's pointing out how God's purpose for hell is not to torture, but to protect. Another one, quote, Hell is not a chamber that God locks from the outside against our repentant will, but a closet we latch from the inside through our unrepentant will. Our desire for freedom from God, freedom from others, and freedom from the self. The nature of sin. So in other words, it's our unwillingness to repent. It's our unwillingness to recognize who the king is, what his kingdom is like, and how it operates, and the laws that, that, that govern that kingdom going... I don't want that. And I display that with my choices and my actions. You with me? Uh, I love how Josh puts it in his book. He talks about the mercy of hell. And it's not just his opinion, it's biblical. But I wanna, re I wanna recommend that resource to you if you find yourself in that place. But listen, people don't like to talk about sin. They don't like to talk about hell because no one wants to feel guilty. Show of hands, how many of you really enjoy feeling guilty? So many of you around the room with your hands up. It's just bonkers. We don't like to feel guilty, so we avoid it. Hear me. I was studying for this sermon and just doing a bunch of research because I really wanted to honor the text and I really wanted to honor you with such a heavy topic. And I discovered that there's this one um, people group, this kind of radicalized people group, who don't avoid talking about their sin. This people group, they're kind of wild. They like embrace talking about their sin. They're known as gospel-believing Christians. Listen to me. Acknowledging sin, acknowledging the ways that we've broken God's laws through sins of commission, sins of omission, acknowledging sin, investigating our own sin. It, hear me, it can lead to feelings of condemnation or it leads to overwhelming joy. Hear me. Uh, look at Psalm chapter 32. Psalm chapter 32, verses one through five. Check this out. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person who the Lord does not charge with iniquity. Iniquity is like sin. In whose spirit is no deceit. Verse three, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer heat. He's basically saying like, Avoiding our sin, keeping it in the dark, pretending it's not there or that it's not that serious. He's like, it's toxic. I can feel it in my bones and I'm anxious and I'm like, 
It's not good for us. Verse five, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's why the psalmist in the first verse says, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Friends, please hear me. I know we've talked about some heavy stuff, but listen to me. Awareness of sin plus the gospel of Jesus Christ equals the joy of being forgiven. Nothing can touch that on the earth. The joy of the freedom of the forgiveness of almighty God, nothing in life will produce more joy than that. Nothing. Think of the things that would get you the most excited in your life right now. It pales into com- in comparison to the joy of being set free, of being forgiven. Why on earth, why on earth would gospel-believing Christians embrace talking about their sin? Why? Because the good news of the gospel The gospel means good news. It's good for a reason. It's good for a reason. It's because your slate is made clean by the blood of Jesus. Jesus going, hey, all y'all, you can condemn the adulterers if you want to, but every single one of us are guilty before God. Why? Because sin is conceived. And it's serious. But the good news of the gospel is that we can be people who are set free Jesus offers us his perfect righteousness in exchange for our imperfection, for our sin. Gospel-believing Christians know that awareness of sin, what it does, hear me, this this is crucial. What awareness of sin does is it sets the table for experiencing God's grace. It's in that place where we actually taste and we actually see the goodness and the grace of God towards us. It, it stops being a concept that you read about in your Bible or hear somebody preach to you on Sunday, and it starts to become something you actually experience. Taste and see that, the God, that God is good. Those are two, two different things. Right before COVID hit, um, like weeks before COVID shut everything down, uh, I went on a ministry trip. In Europe, I was in um, Istanbul. And Paul was on the trip. Dorian was on the trip. And one of the things that I, typically pre-COVID, I would do a handful of, of international ministry trips throughout the year. And one of the things that took me way too long to learn was it's really important when I go on these trips to take a day off. So what I would do historically is I would show up to a place, I'd be jet lagged, I'd be on the other side of the planet, so I'm totally flipped around, minister for you know, a few days to a week, and then fly out, and come home just exhausted, back to ministry locally. And a mentor told me, he's like, listen, you're gonna kill yourself, and anybody you bring on your trips with you is never ever gonna wanna go on ministry trips again. What you need to do is you need to spend a couple days you need to have a couple of days off before you come back. I was like, that's brilliant. It wouldn't cost any extra money. Let's just do it. So <clears throat> the course of these trips, 
I go on this trip right before COVID with Paul and, uh, and Dorian. And so we decided, you know what? We're right there by Italy. Let's just do a couple days off in Rome. So we do a couple days off in Rome. We spent two kind of rainy days walking around Rome, just kind of like, I don't know. We got to go um, into the dungeon that, that Paul was kept in the prison cell, essentially. It's like a dungeon that he was kept in when he wrote 2 Timothy. We literally read it out loud. It was one of these like, prof- I have it on video. It was like this profound like experience, you know? But while we were on those couple days off in Rome, I had the best meal of my life. Like, I mean, legitimately, it was, guys, it was fantastic, okay? And if you've ever been to Italy, you know the food is exquisite, right? The wine, in my opinion, is second to none. We had like, it was like a five-course meal. They kept, like, they set the table out. It's all nice, and they, they bring you each course one by one. You get to taste all it. I rarely, if ever, get to eat like that. And it was like, the, it was a really, really special, beautiful experience. It was the best meal of my, of my life, Please hear me. Awareness of our sin, it sets the table for tasting and experiencing God's grace. It sets the table for the greatest meal of your life, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ in your place, the bread and the wine, John chapter six, verses 54 through 58 says this. Again, Jesus, just loving to freak people out. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Hear me. When was the last time you took a seat at God's table? When was the last time you sat down at the table? When was the last time you tasted, experienced God's grace for you? Like actually felt it at the deepest core of your being. Listen, this is one of the reasons why we practice the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, whatever you want to call it. The reason why we practice it the way we do as a church, we not against any other communities, we just have a conviction with this. Um, that's why we don't do the wafer in the miniature shot glass on a Sunday. There's nothing wrong with that. I think there's, really, there's a lot of power in it. It's beautiful. It's a healthy reminder. This is, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not an indictment on that. But the reason why our gospel communities gather every week for the Lord's Supper, gospel community is not an event, it's a people. The Lord's Supper is an event. We gather for the Lord's Supper around the table. It's, it's literally, why? It's the body and the blood of Jesus that brings us together as people who are guilty because sin is conceived. We're guilty on the inside yet. 
lavished by the love of Christ to cover the deepest, darkest parts of our heart, the worst sins in the world covered by the blood of Jesus. That's why we do it the way we do it. We take it seriously. It's this this living picture of sinners seated around God's table, feasting on his grace that covers every square inch of their sin. As much as we don't like to talk about sin and don't like to talk about hell, listen, awareness of sin, it helps wake us up. Wake us up to the reality of our situation that all of us are sick with sin. And listen, we cannot cure ourselves. Judging somebody else because their sin has gone past the conception stage and been birthed into life isn't gonna do it. That's what the Pharisees did. They judged people for whom their sin went farther. But they never dealt with the heart issue. And Jesus is here going, sin serious. It's serious because it leads to hell. You gotta take it serious. If not, the penalty is something you do not want. We can't cure ourselves, but God can. One more passage for you, Mark chapter two, verse 17. This is the heart of God. It is not those who are well that need a doctor, Jesus said, but those who are sick. I didn't call to come the right, or to, I, didn't call, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. For those who are aware of their sin, for those that are humbled by their sin, for those that are aware that they're in need, for those that are hungry for the true bread and the true drink, God's grace is only for the guilty, friends. It's only for the guilty ones. For those that know that they're sick with sin. So I want to recap for you. Jesus is teaching in this passage, sin is conceived, sin is serious, and sin leads to hell. But, but Jesus experienced hell on the cross so that you and I would never have to. All right, I'm gonna call the band up. I'll close with one more thing. How are we doing? Everyone's just feeling fantastic. Remember when I said um, we come to a place when we, we ask ourselves like, is God's word really gonna be our treasure? Is God's word really eternally valuable to us? On the other side of Jesus' rebuke, on the other side of his teaching about the seriousness of sin, is the incredible grace that he offers repentant sinners. So listen, I want for us as a community I want for me as a human being to get serious about my sin because God's serious about my sin. I want to get serious about my sin because I know that it affects the people around me. And more than it negatively affecting the people around me, it affects my relationship with him. Not in that I lose my salvation, but do you not know that like sin grieves the heart of God? It's paid for. If you're in Christ, your sins, God, he doesn't look upon your sin anymore. But there's a reality 
There's consequences to our actions. That God is a father who loves us, wants to protect us from, and wants to protect other people from. So I was praying this morning and I felt like there was a handful of people that are dealing with different things. Okay, I think that there are some of us in the room who, whether by choice or by circumstance or by unhelpful, unloving teaching, you're, maybe you're in this spot where you're like you're living blind to your sin. Like you're, you don't see it. And maybe this morning is a morning for you to just go, like pray the same prayer that the psalmist prays. Search me, oh God. Search me, oh God. Reveal anything in me that's unclean. Not for condemnation. Let me, again, Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 1 again. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means we're free from shame. That means we can talk about sin because it no longer defines us. What defines us is that we're people who've been forgiven from sin. And everybody else on the face of the planet is just as guilty as you and I, so it levels the playing field. So maybe, you're, maybe this morning you're in that spot where you're like, I'm kinda, I don't really see my sin, I'm kind of blind to it. Hear me, you can't repent until you first have awareness. Maybe that's your step this morning. Maybe it's, maybe it's literally like, you need to like just see it and not be afraid because of the good news of the gospel. I got the sense that there's another kind of person too. Like you see it, you see your sin, you're aware of it and you feel ashamed. Like shame's rising up in you. You feel condemned my encouragement to you is I want to invite you to take a seat at the table. Take a seat at Jesus' table for the best meal of your entire life. The body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus given so that you could experience true, complete forgiveness from every sin that you've ever struggled with. The reality is that God loves us he loves you and he offers forgiveness to all who would receive him. Maybe you just need to receive him in a fresh way today. Maybe there's something you need to confess. Maybe, maybe there's something you need to confess so that you can experience the freedom of, in Christ instead of the bondage of living in the darkness. Everything's cool. I don't talk about sin and hell. No, we're, I, but you're missing out on the joy, the freedom of being a son and daughter in God's kingdom where sin has been put to death once and for all. So here's what I want to do. I want to call the prayer team up to make your way to the side. And I'm going to invite you, if any of that resonates with you, if, if, if you feel like, man, I, I just, I've been, I've been, I know things aren't okay because I don't have peace in my life. I don't, I'm not experiencing the kind of joy that maybe I have in the past or that I desire to experience. Maybe you, you just need to pray. Search me, oh God. If that's you this morning, go get prayer. If you're in a spot where like you see your sin and you feel condemned by it, you feel shame, you feel all these things and you need to come taste and see, you need to feast on the flesh, the body and the blood of Jesus, go receive prayer. If you need to confess something so you can walk in freedom, go receive prayer. All right, let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, as much as this can be really uncomfortable and not a, a hoorah sermon. 
I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for your love. You love us so much that you tell us the truth about ourselves. And then you offer us a way to experience reality as forgiven, totally redeemed, new creations in Christ, fully clothed in your righteousness. So Father, I pray that you would do that work this morning. Do it in me, do it in us. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let us be men and women, boys and girls, who take our sins seriously, who try to identify when it's conceived in our heart and keep it from, being, from going even further by being born into the world. And God, I pray that we would be people who take it so seriously that we consistently come to you and to each other to experience the realities of the good news of the gospel that's available to us every single moment of every day. I echo your words, Jesus, on the cross as you're perishing for, for being ransomed for our sin when you said it is finished. You paid it all. Help us, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I wanna invite you to stand. I wanna invite you now. Uh, this is a moment for us as a community, for you as an individual to respond to the goodness and the grace of, of God. This is moments for you to experience him, to press into his goodness, to open your heart to receiving his grace, to sing praises to him because he's worthy, to let somebody minister to you because guess what? We're not so great at ministering to ourselves. My prayer for you this morning, my prayer for me is that we would receive the goodness of God like we sang about. I will sing of the goodness of God. Come on. That's my prayer, that we would receive him, okay? Band's gonna lead us, and then Herrick will be up to shepherd us and pastor us to close, okay? I love you guys very much. Uh, Father, thank you uh, that you've made a, a way for us by the way, by the blood of your son, Jesus, to experience life, to experience forgiveness, to experience all the fullness of life that you desire for us to have. There's hope. There's real hope because of Jesus who experienced death in our place. He took on the consequences of our sin so that we might experience the fullness of his life. Would you help us individually and collectively today to experience him, to step into the light and to experience healing? God, we love you and we thank you. So in your sons and we pray, amen. You guys can grab a seat. I think there's some things that are on the agenda today. Uh, had multiple people come up to me with different things, which is, which is great. I think God's about some business this morning. So I want to basically invite you to experience the healing that comes through confession. Like Tom talked about, this is, this is us. This is the human condition. There's no one exempt from sin, like sin is present in seed form in every human heart. And when it gives, when it conceives and it gives birth, then it leads to death. But all of us have this within us. And so there is an invitation to heal. James uh, 5 says, 
invites us to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we might be healed. So ultimately, like, this is what community is all about. We're here to care for each other. We're here to love one another, to have each other's backs. There's a lot, of, a lot of things that go with that, but one of the main things that makes the Christian community Christian community is that it's a place of confession to experience healing. So it isn't weird to talk about sin. It's also not weird to confess sin. It actually would be weird if we never did that. You'd be like, what is this? What's the point of this? We just like each other and like to hang out. Cool. That's not the point, though. And you guys are great to hang. There's a lot of great hangs in this room. Collectively, we are a great hang. And that will invite people in, and that's cool, but that's not the point. You can hang. Never mind. You think you understand what I'm saying. Um, so I want to put a couple things in front of you. Uh, I, had, I took voracious notes today. And I took voracious notes, not just from the message, but from people coming up with things. I really do think there's stuff that God wants to do. So here's a couple of them. Uh, obviously, the passage this morning was specifically around this idea of, of lust, that actually within, within lust is kind of the seed form of adultery, and we're guilty at conception, at the point of conception with that. So there was a picture that was shared about cell phones being thrown into the ocean, and, and it may have to do with potentially like looking at pictures or using that, that tool, the phone, to potentially engage with yeah, stuff that you know you shouldn't be looking at. So that's one potential opportunity. I think one way in which God might want to heal today is through the confession of that kind of, um, yeah, lust in the heart. So that's one thing. Uh, but number two, I think it's this is just as important. The picture connected to that was like the father holding his hands open to receive. So it's not like a shame thing. It's not like he wants to shame anybody. Um, it's actually, it's an invitation to experience healing, to come to him. Like a child would come to a father. A daughter would come to a father. A son would come to a father. To a, to a father, he stands with his hands open. You can turn to him. Um, there's another one. Actually, Lisa, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you come up and share this one. We feel like it might be kind of a broader word for the church I uh, was having a picture uh, earlier today in prayer um, of a woman who has a, a lot of things coming up. Like every, it seems like things are surfacing af one after another, and it feels like too much. And almost this picture of her wanting to run um, with her hands over her mouth, like wanting to keep the words from coming out. Um, the fear that perhaps sharing it may be more painful than what is coming up. Um, but I believe that the Lord has freedom for you. Um, I'd love to pray with you. It's sort of like holding back, like almost like vomiting, like word vomit type of thing. Yeah. So if that resonates with you, go get prayer. I got one more. Where's Tracy? Tracy, come on up. Um, just got the sense that like there's been something that like maybe for years or for a long time, like somebody wanted to confess and invite community and people in. But now it feels like, well, it's kind of too late. Like, if I, because I've already presented myself as something else, and so now if, like, they knew this, then it would kind of shatter all of that, and um, just that there's no condemnation in that, and um, that 
your community wants to know you fully, all of you. And there's, if, like, the God who created the universe wants to be in relationship with you and has, sees no shame because of what he's done for you, then surely we will be that for you as well. So, Thank you, Tracy. I just want to acknowledge, too, that the stuff that we've shared may not resonate with you. It almost doesn't matter. Like, everyone has something. Everybody brings something to the table as far as, like, brokenness, as far as areas where we need healing. So I want to invite each of you, like, what do you need healing for? How might you need the forgiveness of God in your life? How might sin be trying to get the better of you? And what might it look like to begin to walk in the light and be free of it? Just want to invite you, go get prayer. There's multiple people, beautiful, safe people who love Jesus, who love you, who would love to pray for you. Um, with that said, I think that's good. I think that's good. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll have a few minutes um, to kind of wind down. Uh, we're going to do a soft close. So at 12 o'clock, if you have kids in kids' ministry, we just ask that you go pick them up by 12. So have a few minutes before that happens. Um, so that we can relieve our kids' workers. And, um, and then if you are planning on coming to the intro and info lunch, just as a quick reminder, that's at 1 o'clock today. Info is on the events tab. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the ways that you're healing and inviting us to experience healing. I pray that none of us would fall into that trap of like feeling like we need to hide or we need to hold on to things because the reality is like it, it will ultimately consume us. Sin always consumes. It's a fire. Um, but you invite us to get well. You invite us to experience freedom. And I pray that we would take you up on it today. All of us, myself included. Thank you that Jesus enters into the ugly and makes us beautiful. He enters into the parts that are dying and, and brings new life. And I pray that we would take him up on it together. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, we got six minutes. We invite you to go get prayer, go have a conversation. If you need to have some, a conversation with someone, go grab your kids in six minutes if you are a parent. And we hope you enjoy the day.